0: Coming up on the Dr. John Deloney Show. We are back with a special four hundredth, four hundredth special. We have we've 400 done four hundred episodes. Four hundred episodes. A special Ask Me Anything show. We made four hundred episodes. I don't even think I've been here for four hundred episodes. What's up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. It's the 400th episode. 400. If you're one of the original OG 17 listeners, how much money did you lose on this one? We made 400 episodes. Wow. I don't even think I've been here for 400 episodes. Man, we ran off James. Got rid of that guy. Kelly's here. Jenna's here, Joe, Andrew, and me, dude. We made 400, guys. It's awesome.
1: I mean, really, who would have thought? When we were down in the basement down there, the first few, I'm not sure any of us could say we thought we'd get here.
0: (laughs) I thought I would feel so much um, better at this job. I thought I would know what's happening, and I feel like the longer this goes, the less I know. But as we do at every hundredth of the century intervals, Today is a special Ask Me Anything AMA derived from questions that you all have sent in um, either via the Johndeloni.com slash ask or on the internets on social. So, Kelly, who's asking the questions today? I am. You? Yeah. Good. Jenna makes me uncomfortable. Not really. That's not nice. You asked questions the other day. Actually, I'm not going to lie. She did a great job. Of course she did. She said no mean things to me on my headphones. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm still working on it. Out <laughs> loud, right? Yeah, Out, you kept them all in your in all your heart. All in my head. Yeah. That, was, that was fantastic. I loved it. It made me happy. All right, so let's do this. Let's make internet uh, magic.
1: All right. The first question: Can a marriage work without intimacy?
0: No, but I'm going to caveat it. Um, I think we <laughs> so so most people say sex. People in polite company, especially people in faith context, often don't say the word sex. They say the word intimacy. Or people who are trying to be proper say intimacy. So if we're using the word intimacy to mean sexual intercourse, yes, you can have a great and wonderful marriage without sexual intercourse on the regular, particularly as you get older, as you age, etc. The key here is it's, it's something that has to be navigated and discussed and negotiated together. It can't be one person deciding, this is the way this is gonna be, and the other person's gotta live with it. Um, But I take a much broader view of intimacy. Intimacy is a connection at the soul level, at the intention level, at the every minute of my day, I'm thinking of ways I can meet my partner's needs, and they're trying to meet mine. Intimacy is about doing the things that I know help you have a better life. And in turn, you're doing the things that help me have a better life. And so intimacy is reciprocal and it is connectedness and it's together. Um, And so, no, I don't think you can have a marriage without that, without a shared connectivity. But yes, as you get older, there's medical issues as your sexual interest, like actual, like doing it, doing it wanes and other things are more important. Like I just want to sit here on the front porch and hold your hand. And like, that can be deeply intimate moments. The key, again, is that they're discussed. Is that, is that
1: fair? Yeah, because like I think it's more than, I think the question is asked. Well, I'm asking it, so I know what it is. Um, it's not <laughs> just sex. It's, yeah, it's beyond just sex. It's Because intimacy, intimacy is more than that. We've talked about that. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. more than just that. Yeah. All right, the second one, how do you choose your tattoos?
0: Oh, man. So usually I go with somebody, and we take seven or eight shots. And I'm just kidding. We don't at all. Um, usually it's a couple of things. One, um, like I've got tattoos down my ribs of my children and the kids that we lost, uh, the names of the children we lost, um, at pregnancy. And so sometimes they're deeply meaningful. The tattoos down my back are from, uh, childhood stuff. And when I was trying to be a, uh, a poser, want to be fighter, um, the ones down my arm are. Usually a collection of things that are meaningful to me and, or, um, kind of dealer's choice. And so I think I've talked about it here. I was trying, I travel a lot. And so I just decided I was gonna start getting new tattoos in every city. And so sometimes, man, there were some pretty sketchy things, but usually it's something that means something important to me.
1: All right. How do you choose yours? Just let's, that's coming up on another question. Oh, is it? (laughs) Sweet. How do we let go of blame?
0: Um, blame is good for, for honestly evaluating how I ended up in a certain situation. Um, somebody shoved me. Now I'm in the middle of the road. That's helpful info. But it doesn't get me out of the middle of the road. And so I get over blame, honestly, because it has absolutely no help. It's of no help to me and going where I go next, unless um, I know I'm not going to go back on that side of the road because that guy just pushed me in the road, right? So it might give me some direction here, um, but it's not going to help me make my next steps. And so I I just think blaming is a complete and utter waste of my time. Um, It just has no value. What about you? You love blame and like, it makes you feel, it makes your heart feel good. No, I
1: don't. I don't y'all seriously, I'm not that bad of a person, <laughs> but, um, I have this need in like, a you should take, like, you should be responsible for the things you did mm-hmm. probably more to other people than I am for myself, which right. is not good. But so I, I, I tend to hold on to it, um, inside sometimes more than I should. Of so it's like, a
0: justice thing.
1: Yeah. Like it's this very is the way this needs a, to be. Yeah. Like you're wrong. And so I'm going to hold on to this, because clearly that's a good thing to do. (laughs) Sometimes I'm bad about that whole, you know, it's like taking poison and then hoping the other person dies. Right. I I, that's something I work on, but it's not an easy thing um, to let go of blame.
0: Blame's helpful for me in
1: reflection. Yeah, it's like what is it? Righteous indignation. Indignation. Yeah, Yeah. I feel like I'm holding on to this because it's
0: makes you holier than thou.
1: It's a little bit of like. Of that, if I'm being real honest, yeah,
0: I get that. It's like I exercise, and that suddenly makes it okay that I eat my body weight and gar. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, so I I just tend to think that blame, um, is a waste of my time, and so I want to pull that stre- that that string all the way. So let's say I was sexually abused as a kid, and I have real challenges uh, making close connected relationships as an adult. Or let's suggest that um, I was physically abused as a kid. And so when somebody's angry or somebody wants to have a strong disagreement with me on the basis of my ideals or my ideas, like at work or in a marriage, I instantly hide. I I run. Those things in my childhood happened. No question about that. And my body naturally created defense mechanisms so that those things would be less likely to happen in the future. No question about that. But for me to continue as an adult to blame what happened then for the things I need to do to be well and whole and treat people with dignity and respect in my, in my life as an adult, I, I, it does me no good. It can, I can't bring them from the past to, to make right my, my present. It just doesn't know how it works. And so I just tend to, on the whole, blame's a waste of my time. I'd rather be... Um, about what comes next? How do I get to the next place? How do I participate in healing? How do I get a new group of people to walk alongside me?
1: Nice. All right. Um, top favorite three. Top three favorite books on parenting and relationships.
0: <laughs> okay. Say that one more time.
1: Top three favorite books on parenting, and then top three favorite books on relationships.
0: Ah, oh, jeez. Uh, Um, that's easily, easily the most common question I get is questions about, Hey, what books, what books, what books, what books? Um, I almost thought about getting a master's degree in library science just because of how many, how often I get that. Um, I think my number one parenting book of all time is, is hold on to your kids by Gabor Mate and Gordon Newfield. Hold on to your kids. Um, an absolute, absolute, absolute masterpiece. Everything Gabor Maté writes is a masterpiece. That guy is just uh, like an international treasure. He's from Canada. Otherwise, I'd call him a national treasure. Um, There's another book out that I haven't read. This is me being honest, I haven't read it. Um, It's called Baby Bomb um, by Kara Hoppe, H-O-P-P-E, I think. Um, And she has another author, Stan, something. Um, I've had it recommended a bunch. I've got it on my shelf. I haven't read it, but I think it'd be worth picking up. Just from the people who have recommended it to me, I, I highly trust. Um, I don't know that I have a third, probably Scattered by Gabor Mate. It's a book about ADHD, um, but it has a broader picture about raising kids and stress and maternal stress and paternal stress. And so that's a phenomenal book. As it, as it comes to relationships, um, The New Rules of Marriage by Terrence Real is extraordinary. Um, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, the book on sex. It's less about, it's more about a relationship between a woman and her body. But I think the men that have read it have find extraordinary value in it as well. And I think it's a great book that couples can read together. And I, um, Lori Gottlieb's is it, maybe you should talk to somebody. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a, an extraordinary book as well. Um, anything by, um, Esther Perel. What about you, Kelly? Do you have a parenting book that means something to you or relationship book besides the karma sutra?
1: Parenting-wise, um, as a parent of a, of a boy, one of the best ones we ever read was um, David Denton, who is a uh, – sorry, David Thomas. He's a counselor, local counselor here at Daystar, mm-hmm. same place Sissy Goff works. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called um, Wild Wild Things, and it is the – it has been the most referenced book in our house for raising boys, and it um, does a really good job of putting – like two to four, here's who they are. Four to eight, here's who they are. And it talks about here's who they are physically. Mm. Here's where they are emotionally. Here's what they need from mom. Here's what they need from dad. Here's what they need from outside sources. Here's what they need spiritually, you know. And then, like, to the point, like, we're at the point now where it's like, mom, you're not as big a part of the picture now. And that really sucks, but.
0: So you treat me. Yeah, like. so.
1: <laughs> yeah, well. There you go. Um, but so here's what they need from you, and here's what they need. And if if there's not a dad in the picture, if there's not a mom in the picture, it's like a handbook. That's cool. And it has been amazing how closely, as I've looked at that and then watched our son, he that he He's follows those it. things, and it's it's um it's been a great one. And then relationships, not my favorite book overall. You mentioned it the other day, but I think it's worth it. Is the five love languages, mm-hmm. only because my husband and I are extremely different people, mm-hmm. and so. I, I finally read that one understanding that, well, maybe what I'm doing is not, is, isn't is working. He doesn't understand that that's my way that I show I care. Gotcha. And so that did a good job of the whole idea of it. Like you have to learn your partner yep. and learn what works for them because I can buy him gifts all day long, but if to him that doesn't mean anything, it's, it's useless.
0: Yes. And so I, I agree with you there. That book gives a great, it's it's a great conversation starter, I think. Yes. Um I, I, I personally don't think there's just five love languages, but... Um, I do think they that they that provides a great basis for a place to start. And you just said it perfectly. Most of us go through our lives trying to help other people. And our hearts are good, especially those that we love the most. But we help them in ways we want to be helped, right. not in ways that they're actually desiring to be helped. right? And then we end up pushing them into the margins or hurting them in an attempt to try to love them.
1: Right. And they don't see it. They're like, well, gosh, they must not love me or like me. Because right. if they did, they mow the lawn and we're over here, you know, buying expensive gifts yes, or whatever. Yes, so yes. you just, it's just about getting on the same page and love it. Yeah.
0: Love it. Um, all right. So those are the great, those are the books there. Hang with us. We'll be right back with this uh, 400th episode AMA. Stay with us. All right. We are back with a special 400th, 400th so special. We have we've 400 done four hundred episodes. Hundred episodes. A special Ask Me Anything show. Go for it, Kelly. Go for it.
1: All right. How can a traumatic childhood that predates your memory impact your development?
0: Um. Well, I think it goes before that. So there's some pretty remarkable. It's controversial, but some pretty remarkable research suggesting that trauma is passed genetically. Um. That can actually Things that happen to your grandparents show up in their grandkids' genes. That doesn't mean things are deterministic. but That just means that the possibility that things are going to emerge. So you probably heard me talk on the show about genetics and gasoline cans in the garage. Um, things that happen to your grandparents can put gasoline cans in the garage of grandkids. And what that means is a spark that might otherwise just you know, cause some smoke damage may cause a house to explode. Um, And so when it comes to trauma in an individual's childhood, even if you don't remember it, um, to not sound woo-woo, the body does. Or as Vander Kolk says, the body keeps the score. And so as a young kid, if you learn as an infant, mom is not safe, you will begin trying to solve that relationship for the rest of your life. Your body knows everything. I can't do life without a close attunement, a closely attached relationship to my my mom or to my dad or to my primary caregiver. And so it will continue to try to solve that forever. Um, If you're abused as a young kid, sometimes your brain has some remarkable mechanisms to take that memory off the board for a while um, or forever. But your body knows when a guy comes in the room and turns the lights off, that it's time to go to war or it's time to to disappear. And so um, I often, and I think the research bears this out, the memory is pretty unreliable across the board. It's just pretty unreliable. I think what is a more helpful um, way of healing and seeing the world is what is my body telling me right now that... what is it trying to protect me from? Why is it feeling unsafe? And how do we go from here? That that it, I'm finding that to be an infinitely more important question than what happened, what happened, what happened.
1: I can tell you also as a mother of an, two adopted children, mm-hmm. especially my son, um, that – because I remember thinking, oh, he's two. He won't rem- – there's – it'll be just like he's ours and everything's fine. But that's not the case mm-hmm. because he was two living in an orphanage for two years. And so – He didn't have anyone that held him. He self-soothed. You know, so, Mm -hmm. yeah, and and I can only imagine the stress that his birth mother, she was young, had him early, that all of that put on. So I remember thinking that's like, he doesn't even remember this. Right. Well, he doesn't, but he's got coping mechanisms, and and it's interesting how when things get stressful, like when our house flooded – I saw him do some of those same self-soothing mechanisms, and he's 17. Yeah. But it's because of what he reverts to. It's what he knows. That's right. So. And,
0: and if you think about both of those in combination, that what did his birth mother in Russia, right? What Ukraine. Did, w- Ukraine? Very different. What did her grandmother experience, right? The hell that that was at the turn of the century, Right. So you imagine those things getting encoded in a young boy and then he finds himself in an orphanage, right? So, it, I mean, it's it's mess on top of mess. And it's rare that even in the, it, anywhere in the world that trauma just springs out of a family unit. It usually comes from, it rolls downhill, right? So, um, yeah, there's a big mess when it comes to trauma, but it's, it's always stopping to ask yourself, what is my body trying to protect me from right now?
1: I'll just say thank God for counseling.
0: Thank God for counseling.
1: All right. Which one of Kelly's tattoos is your favorite?
0: Oh, dude. (laughs) The other day when you came into work and you had your shirt tucked in on itself and that awesome Thug Life tattoo across your stomach was amazing. (laughs) It was incredible. You had, (laughs) you did, you had that denim shirt. It wasn't tucked in. You had it tied up real high. And it was like, everyone was talking about it. Like, why is Kelly showing her abs? And then you turned and that Thug Life tattoo was happening. That was awesome. That was good. And I can tell you've had that for like 20 years. I mean, it had faded back during your Tupac day. T- I mean, it, it was dope. It was good. It was good. That's my favorite one so far. <sighs>
1: I have none. I have no tattoos, what? people. Such, I would just like you to know you're that. You're such a liar. I have none. Why don't you,
0: own, why don't you take – you've been on this show for 400 episodes, and you still are denying core parts of who you none. are. None.
1: Not a one. I'm considering my first one. It's going to be a picture of John with a big <laughs> X on it. But. Whatever.
0: A big picture of John with dollar signs.
1: <laughs> yes, that's what it is. All right. Next question. I'm an ICU RN. Oof. How do I know if I am burned out? Or depressed
0: oh man um i'm gonna answer this in a way that's not gonna be popular the answer is most of the time it doesn't matter it doesn't matter um if you get nerdy and you go down the the burnout literature and people trying to figure out is burnout an actual physiological thing or is it an emotional thing versus the depression literature which is just so vast um the symptoms of those things end up very similar. And I've read that burnout, you know, leads to depression or um, burnout is just related to a work environment. And if you change environments, suddenly you feel better. Whereas depression sometimes does. I think if you are an ICU nurse or you're an elementary school teacher or you're a leader or you're an attorney or you're a doctor or whatever you're doing, man, um, if your body is telling you enough is enough is enough. Trying to sit down and figure out what kind of enough it is, is really, I mean, it goes back to the old, there's a tiger at the front of your cave and you're wondering, is that a nice tiger? Is that the petting tiger? Is that the mean tiger? It doesn't matter. It's a tiger. You got to go, you got to move. And so I think asking whether it's burnout, whether it's depression, I think the real question we need to ask, we have a a culture so obsessed with diagnostics, obsessed with diagnostics. What label is the right label for you? I am much more interested in a society that really learns to trust its body, the individual bodies in this, and, and also has a group of people that helps us with that because sometimes my body lies to me. Sometimes my body says, she's not safe. She's super safe. And I need to check in with some people that I trust, whether that's a counselor, whether it's close friends. And so I want an ICU nurse who's struggling to wake up in the morning, who's struggling to sleep at night, um, who can't breathe, who's lost interest in things that used to bring her great joy or bring him great, deep satisfaction. It's not interested in sexual connection. It's not interested in hanging out with friends. It's not interested in these things that used to bring them life. Whether that's burnout, whether that's depression, I don't really care. What I care about is that you honor yourself enough to sit down with somebody and say, I'm not okay. And let's go from there. Let's go from there. One thing isn't worth more attention than the other. All of it's worth attention. And I contend that somebody can, um, we have to have people. Let me say it this way. We have to have people to do these really, really, really hard jobs. We have to. Got to have people who are ICU nurses or the society stops, right? Got to have people who are trauma surgeons and police officers. We got to have people who are firefighters. We have to have sewage work. We have to have these people that show up in the middle of the mess. And then their bodies are going to respond in particular ways. And we've got to have the support network for these folks to stay well and whole so they can continue to go back and go back and go back into these hard jobs. So at the end of the day, I don't really think it matters. If you end up with clinical depression, your doctor, the person you're working with, the counselor... They will let you know, and if you need a very specific treatment option there, great. That's cool. But if your body's telling you we're not okay, don't immediately run to the labels. Instead, step back and look and see what's on fire. And it might be that you need a break. It might mean that you need some support. It might mean that you need to start treating your body better. It might mean that you need some connection with friends and community. It might mean you, you need to work at a new hospital. It might mean a whole bunch of things that um, don't require a label. That's, that's my thoughts.
1: All right. How many guitars do you currently
0: own? Oof. Not a lot. Um, I've got the Les Paul that my wife bought me when I graduated with my first PhD and I got the Flying V that I just love. I have an SG that I love um, and then I have a Martin Acoustic and then I have an Everett Acoustic handmade by a dude in Atlanta and it's one of the best sounding guitars I've ever heard in my life. And I'm going to get a couple more. There's a couple more that I want to get. i got my eye on. Um, but that's it for now. That's it for now. Not a lot. I talk a big game, but eh. Uh, I am going to visit the, uh the, um Gibson factory soon. And um, hopefully come home with a haul. That'll be a lot of fun. That'll be good. All right. Hey, we'll be right back on the 400th, 400, 400 episodes AMA. We'll be right back. All right. We are back for the last segment of the 400 episode AMA. Go for it, Kelly.
1: My friends let their kids drink alcohol in a quote unquote controlled setting. What are your thoughts on this?
0: (laughs) Not, not smart, not wise. And by friends, you mean you, I know that you do this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Okay. uh, Let me, let me think through this out loud. Um, Number one, like, I had this, I experienced this as a kid. So, not as a kid, but as a late teenager and on into college. So, um, I get this. I get it. I've been there. Uh, a couple of things. Let's do the pragmatic stuff first. When it comes to teenagers, there's no such thing as a controlled setting as much as you think there is. There just is not. Um, teenagers are brilliant at navigating boundaries, they're incredible at it. Um, And so the idea that you're going to create some kind of bubble that they can do dumb stuff in or break the law in, um, make wise choices in, is nonsense. It's just dumb. You're wrong. You're incorrect. So uh, number two, man, when I was a kid, there was no cameras anywhere, ever. There was no video. I mean, it just wasn't. The liability a parent takes on nowadays is madness. I can't fathom. A, a, an adult doing that in, in this day and age with so many cameras, so many recordings, so much, all of it, right? Um, in such a increasingly litigious society, one thing goes wrong. One kid gets sick. One kid gets in a wreck. One kid starts feeling depressed. One kid fill in the blank, man, sends crazy text or sex somebody or asks for it and receives it. And I, I don't know why anyone would put themselves in that position. And let's take the broader view with kids. When I look at the data, this is just the data, right? I like a beer as much as the next guy. I like a great bourbon and whiskey just as much as the next guy. I'm just looking at the science part. Alcohol is destroying people from the inside out. It's destroying them at the micro level where one or two drinks a night is slowly eroding sleep, which is slowly eroding mental health, which is slowly eroding physical health, which is slowly eroding work performance and relationship performance, and tracks all the way to dementia and beyond. And alcohol on the macro level, on the deaths of despair, when we step back and look at alcohol and then its sister um, opioids, why in the world, why in the world would you lean over to it? Kid, a child, and say, "I want to introduce you to something that the data tells me might be a part of killing you in the future." Why would you do that? I don't. I. I, I just. I'm. I'm not gonna do that. Um, parents are in desperate need. I mean, children are in desperate need of parents who aren't acting like their friends. Children are in desperate need of adults acting like adults and being parents and saying no. As a society, we've all voted. You got to be 21 sorry gotta be 21 um and that's not even like the motion picture association association of america like a group of people in some shadowy room deciding what the rating of a movie is as an adult cool you get to do you get to figure that out but we all voted as a society i i I just want to lean on that so that's my thoughts on that kelly what do you think
1: i mean i i remember having a couple of parents of friends of mine when i was in high school that would let us do that and Um, But now as a parent, no way. No chance. Like you said, every camera, every phone, (laughs) but I've also seen the effects of alcohol on people in my life, and there's no chance that I would introduce my child to that Yeah. or somebody else's child without – especially without their knowledge um, Mm. because I remember growing up and we had a a particular friend whose parents would let us drink over there – they were calling our parents. They never called and said, "Is this okay?" No. But they were the cool mom, right? You know. And now I have no desire to be the cool mom. No, thank no, you. No, we
0: need a generation of parents who are, don't want to be the cool parent.
1: Yeah, we'll be friends. My, my son has said that well, we're not friends. No, we're not. We'll be friends later.
0: You're twenty five. Yeah, they won't we'll be friends.
1: So I can't imagine. Um, yeah, introducing that.
0: And I feel like I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth now when I'm when, I, when I'm talking about downstream effects of alcohol. I would I would take my kid out and buy them their their, <laughs> their supposed first drink when they're 21. I'd do that, right? Um, it's within the like I wouldn't have a problem with that, but to take a child in and say, "Hey, I've got, I don't know," I just it just feels stupid.
1: And it's it's illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Period. Yeah. On huge levels, because like you said, you just don't know what they're going to go out and do. And you're right that saying controlled setting with a teenager. It's, it's just such, such thing, such an dude. I think phrase. back to
0: the "quote unquote" controlled settings we had. <laughs> they yeah, were, they were not. And that controlled. was
1: before we had the world in our hands and a box where oh, we could take dude. a picture and tell somebody. And then all of a sudden, it's before you know it, it's all around school. It's right. just no That's way. It's so
0: stupid. Yep. Good for you.
1: All right. Um, who is a person besides your parents that you look up to or seek advice from?
0: Um. Gosh. Um. I would categorize that as experts and mentors and friends. And so, um, experts on, like, I remember when COVID came out, I I didn't know anything about viruses. I was super privileged. I had friends who worked in that world that were research biologists who study stuff. So, when it came to like, should I get the vaccine or not? I asked them because they knew I didn't. Uh, When it comes to, like landscaping things. You know what I'm good at when it comes to landscaping? Mowing. That's it. And dude, I can work a, an edger, a weed eater. Like, like I'm, I'm incredible. But I call Rachel Freitas to come over and like look at my yard. And she's a friend and she's also like a, a renowned expert in this. So um, I ask experts for their ideas on things. I ask Dave Ramsey for personal money uh, tips, right? And I know most of many people, millions of people in America would love that. And uh-huh. But I, I mean, I just ask him for it. Um, I ask Kelly for like at, tattoo aftercare information because she's an expert. She's got a thousand. Um, and then I got friends that I just love and have done life with that uh, I trust and they trust me. And so when I've got a hard decision to make or a conversation or making sure I'm seeing something right, I love asking them for that kind of stuff. Um, and then mentors, you know, um, men and women who have been with me for a long, long time. And that I've looked up to for a long time that I reach out to for help and support like Darby Dickerson or like Jean-Noel Thompson or like uh, Randall DeMitt. Oh, 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 I mean, I could just go on and on and on, but um, men and women who have really been important to me in my life trajectory. So, um, yeah, I guess experts, mentors, and friends. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: Not, notice, the internets. Not the internets.
1: No, not the Never.
0: Internets. The only time it's good to go to the internets is if you're looking for stuff that I'm saying. Then it's great. You should all run to the internets and hit subscribe. All right. Go for it.
1: All right. Best way to stay connected to our teens.
0: Um, the, the research would say be very firm, hold kids strongly accountable, and be very kind. It's the combination of both of those things. And there's a four quadrants, um, but ultimately it's be a parent and don't be an ass. Both of those things together. Um, We often like, I've got to hold them accountable. I'm going to wear them out. What an idiot. Why would you do that? And I want to be cool. I want to be kind. So I'm not going to hold them accountable. Well, that's dumb too. You can do both. You can with love in your heart, say, hey, we're not going to do that. I as your parent can't allow that. I as your parent, I've got to make the call to this teacher, to this whatever. I've got to call this mechanic who I think's ripping you off. I'm gonna. I want to be a. I know I'm your parent, so it's uh, firm and accountable and kind. The thing that I've been wrestling with lately, um, that I think all parents could really, really work on myself. I'm and I put myself number one at this top of this list. What if we focused on being likable with our kids? If we focused on, um, not, again, I think I've talked about this a little bit, but not turning every, every conversation into a teaching moment. And not turning every good thing or failure thing into a moment where I can imprint on. My oldest son, uh, he's almost 13. He lost a tooth. And we were laughing. He came in last night, lost a tooth. We were laughing like most kids lose that tooth when they're eight. And he was laughing. We were carrying on. And I pulled my shirt up over my head so he couldn't see my face. And I grabbed a quarter out of like my coin jar. And I flapped my wings in there. And I turned the lights on. He was half asleep. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's the tooth fairy. And inflation's bad. And I flicked a quarter on his bed and he started dying laughing. And then he's left. I just left. And that's the kind of story he's going to tell at his deathbed. That my dad was funny and my dad was silly and my dad made jokes. Not that my dad told me a great life lesson after the soccer game. He's not going to remember any of that crap. He's going to remember I was annoying after sporting events. But I really have been focusing lately on being likable. And... Um, that doesn't mean a, a, a doormat. That just means that I'm, I am enjoyable to be around and I'm finding that that's making me an infinitely more effective parent and really coworker and human being, but that's a whole other conversation.
1: I want to add into that though. So the book I was telling you about, um, about the raising boys and I find this is from both my teens. When you want to connect with your teen, you have to go where they are. The, my son is not gonna go shopping with me and he's not gonna sit down and watch Great British Bake Off. He might, but not willingly. I have to do what he wants to do. Right. And so last night, for the last few nights, he's watching this Formula One series on Netflix.
0: I heard it's fantastic.
1: Actually it's really good. <laughs> yeah. But it's great. I'm watching a Formula One series. And uh over, you know, not too long ago, we watched Violent Night, the the new, oh god, it's actually great. David Harbor. It's a it's a Christmas, but it's super violent. Violent night. Yeah, it's great. Did you
0: put that in your parent of the year application?
1: I did. It's <laughs> but you know I've got to watch what he wants to watch, or my husband they go do things that my son wants to do because he's not going to do what we want to do and be like, this is great. Thanks for you know making me watch Pride and Prejudice, mom. That's not going to work. But if I can do what he wants to do, it gains trust. Mm. And I'm not making fun of it.
0: Yes, you're you're participating. Yeah. I think I I I like that, especially around entertainment things and enjoyment things. I also think it's important for my kid to come with me when we're going to help somebody's house, ha- uh, oh, yeah. right, and do servicey things, right. And so, but
1: like that's more entertainment type things. Yeah,
0: I, I think that's right. If you're always like, "No, kids, we're watching this because my house, my TV," well, you're an idiot, and you're not likable. Nobody wants to be around that guy, right? And. You're not that guy with your friends, all right? And if you are, you don't have any friends because you're an ass. Like, nobody wants to be around you.
1: And it's important that I know what makes my kid laugh. Yes. And that I know what my kid's into, first of all. Yes. Because then I'm also, I know who his friends are. And, um, you know, my husband every once in a while will grab a remote and play video games with him when he's playing online. So yes. we're hearing the people he's talking to. But then we know about his life. And it's the same with my daughter. It's different a little bit because of her special needs. But if I want to do what she is into, or I can sit and make her watch, you know, Stranger Things, which is going to terrify her. <laughs>
0: right. So I, I've, I've seen a, a profound transition in my, in my daughter when I just walk into her room quietly and I don't flick the lights on and off and start throwing her stuffed animals around, like, let's, let's fight the animal. If I just go lay on the floor and, and just grab my own coloring book and get right next to her and color, and we won't say anything for five or 10 minutes. And eventually she'll say, hey, today is school, and she'll just launch in, right? And uh, yep. that's right what you're saying. Just, but And that goes back to me just being likable, and it's just getting in their world, man.
1: Yeah. My daughter loves to do jigsaw puzzles, and so this weekend I just put one out, and she just came over, and we don't get a lot of peaceful enjoyment time with her because that's just not her world. But for an hour, hour and a half, we just sat and did this puzzle together because I know that that's something she'll she'll want to join in, and I can kind of, you know, it's— it's something that she enjoys. So I will come do that. I love it. Yeah. I so it. it's just being in their world because then you get to know who they are.
0: I love it. It's great.
1: All right. Last question. Let's do it. Piece of advice that you love to give, but find the hardest to follow.
0: Uh whew. eating nutritious stuff and sleep. Those are the two that, man, I struggle big time. Um, And I found my sleep getting increasingly worse. I'm going to have to spend some direct time on it. Um, I met with my doctor on it a couple months ago, and he gave me some pretty harsh advice that I haven't put into practice yet. Um, But he basically told me, you got to change your life, or you're not going to be with us much longer, so I'm going to have to do that eventually. But Yeah, um, please do. I need a job. (laughs) There's some other idiot that will be glad to spout their opinions, Kelly. Um, But uh, so sleep and diet, I just eat so much junk food. Um, uh, The other one is, <laughs> Parenting, um, showing up. Uh I often say kids they don't have permission to hurt my feelings. And when I find when I'm tired or when I'm having a season of self-doubt or I'm just not feeling good about myself, man, my daughter can flat out crush me. Um, my son can crush me. My wife can say something that crushes me. And it's easier to sit here and say well, you just got to keep showing up. Just got to keep showing up, man. Sometimes I just want to go get a tent and sleep in the backyard for a few nights. And so I think that's the other hard one: is just to keep showing up. I do a better job of showing up than I do not eating gummy candies, but we'll see. What about you? Uh,
1: I feel like I'm constantly telling my kids, especially probably other people, that you know God's going to handle this. He's going to take it. And then, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I like to control things. Like, you know, right now we're dealing with the house stuff. And I am trying to control every little piece of that. And my husband keeps, you know, spitting my words back at me. But I'm a control freak. And I love... Tell me
0: more, Kelly. No I this way. this
1: shocking. And I love no. control. But boy, I can tell other people how, you know, you just need to let that go and give that to God and then... I'm over here holding And then thanks. you're
0: like, I am God. <laughs> I am. <laughs> All right. Hey, hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me and everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, as we wrap up today's show, the 400th episode, AMA. Hey, thanks for doing the show with me, guys. I continue to feel like the luckiest guy in the building, man.
1: Thanks for doing this show.
0: And making sure you're employed.
1: Making sure I'm (laughs) employed. And that when I gave up, you know, the big show over there, that it wasn't a bad idea.
0: This is the little show that could. We are. We are. We are. And on that note, the Mighty Pantera off their vulgar display of power record. The song is Mouth for War. (laughs) sounds so dramatic. Mouth for War. And it goes like this. Revenge. I'm screaming revenge again. Wrong. I've been far for far too long. I've been constantly so frustrated. I move mountains for less with less. When I channel my hate to productive, I don't find it hard to impress bones in traction. Hands break to hone raw energy, bold and disastrous. My ears can't hear what you say to me. <laughs> I'm trying to sound so hard. So tough. Hold your mouth for the war. Use it for what it's for. Speak the truth about me. Determined! Such a great (laughs) tip. So great. Hey, I love you guys. Stay in school. Don't do drugs.